0: Pray together. Jesus, I thank you that the words that you spoke all those years ago have so much for us today. Thank you that you gathered people on a mountainside who were broken, who were hurting, who were unwell, and you touched them with the Father's love, and you gave them words to live by, words of hope. And they're the same for us this morning. We pray that every heart would find hope in your words, in your promises, in your encouragement this morning. We gather around your truth this morning, Lord. May we be changed by it. Amen. Good morning. I feel like I'm in the band finally. After all these years, I've made it. I'm actually here. it's good to be with you. you. feel a long way away, but you're looking lovely. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, the Beatitudes, as Ney said, looking at these incredible radical words of Jesus, and perhaps almost the most radical statement he could possibly have made when he gathered everyone together on the mountainside was to say, Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted what a total oxymoron, paradox, whatever word you want to put on it, it would have turned their world upside down to say that. And yet, it is true, I believe that, I found that from experience, that there is a gift, a makarios, a joy, That can be given in our deepest pain. It does not mean we are happy dancing around. In fact, many of you will feel the weight of that pain even this morning. But it does give us a secret gift of solace, of comfort, of sustenance that is of God and not of this world. I wonder what the last thing that made you cry was. Uh, When I was preparing for this talk, uh, just about 10 days ago now, uh, there were three different things over the course of a few days that made me cry. Now that might not surprise many of you who know me, I don't know. Uh, The first was an advert, and it was an advert, I don't recommend the blend, but it was Nescafe Gold, apologies, uh, Instant Coffee, and it's an an advert where the guy is standing in a theatre auditorium and faced with everyone he's ever met in his life. They're all there, ex-girlfriends, university mates, school friends, all there with labels over them, standing. And it's one of those ones where he gets people to sit down if they've had a certain experience. And he says, you know, if you knew my nickname at school and whatever, and there's quite a few. But the ones that remain standing are the ones that really got to me. There are just a few that are still there standing at the end. And he says, sit down if you've never seen me cry. And the more of them sit down, and there's just probably a smattering of about five or six left standing who have seen him cry. One I think is in the ex-girlfriends bit, but I might have made that up. And, uh, and then he says, have we lost touch with each other? And he says, have you got a moment now? And that's the bit that gets to me in the advert, it's not the coffee. Um, but he then says, come and catch up, because there's a sense of calling people who know us that desire of our hearts to be fully known in some of our darkest and most painful places, in some of our brokenness. And actually, lament is part of church, isn't it? It's part of our worship. Our tears can be part of our worship. We're encouraged by scripture to lament. The second thing that made me cry was Alexander Burke, uh, not this last Strictly, but the one before, uh, did a brilliant dance, and uh, oh, Russ doesn't like it, a lot of people don't like Strictly, I've lost him completely, um, <laughs> sorry if it caused offence. Um but uh, if you are a Strictly fan, stay with me, Alexander Burke actually gets two tens i think or three was it vowed, val- three tens uh, quite early on in the competition and she's in euphoric mood everyone's high-fiving everyone's happy and suddenly she bursts into tears because it was her mum that wanted her to do strictly and her mum died just before she started the competition and this roar of real pain comes out of her and she says i just wish my mum was here now to witness this and it's grief it's raw morning grief. They're on the television, beautifully dealt with by the team there. But nevertheless, it's raw. The third time I cried was more personal. As many of you know now, my dad's gone into a nursing home, most of which he's thoroughly enjoying. And he goes to everything. And uh, I told you last time he won the carpet bowling competition, Uh, but this time it was community singing, and he was singing along, and my sister said every single note, he had his finger on it, trying to sing along, trying to stay with it, trying his absolute best, and uh, he's not been gifted with a particular great singing voice, unlike myself, obviously, Um, (laughs) although it's unrecognised here. And... um, He was singing away, and at the end, they said, well done, Richard, you really gave that your all. And he said, I've got no voice left, no voice left, but he said, I was singing on the inside. And I cried when I heard that, because I just thought, that's my dad, singing on the inside. But there's something of that that actually resonates with me as we look at this scripture because, you know, the Bible says, though outwardly we're wasting away, we read that in the epistles, but actually there's this core strength, this joy, this sustenance that comes that is not related to our circumstances, that is other, that is different. And lament, um, as I said, has been... I think probably neglected by us as church. I think sometimes we come to church and we almost feel we've got to put a game face on or got to put a happy face on. And actually we need to give one another permission to come to church in our total brokenness. Where else would we go? You know, here are the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? And uh, the message version of Matthew 5 says this, You are blessed when you feel you have lost what is most dear to you, for only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. And it really touches me that actually there is a comfort that comes even when we're in loss. Michael Card says this. It's not on the screen, but it's great words. It seems to me that we do not need to be taught how to lament since we have so many models throughout the Bible. What we need is simply the assurance that it's okay to lament. We all carry deep within ourselves a pressurized reservoir of tears, It takes only the right key at the right time to unlock them. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. And that is the beauty and the mystery of the prayer of lament. Lamentations, in the book of Lamentations, it says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his anger. I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. My children are desolate, the enemy has prevailed. If that's not lament, I don't know what it is. You know, it's in Lamentations. But by chapter 3, here's what he says. But the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies will never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, for the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. So the Beatitudes," as we, we read, and uh, he writes, says this about the fact that they are an announcement, that it's much more than good advice, that it's not just "Everything's going to turn out all right." He says, "The Beatitudes are an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It's about something that is starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. It is gospel good news not good advice, and these beatitudes are ushering in a different kind of kingdom, giving us a new way to be, a new way to live. Trish um, Harrison Warren is a blogger, she's also a minister, And uh, she talks about grief being a little bit like sand when you've been to the beach. Now, I'm a big fan of the beach, I'm sure many of us are, but not always such a big fan of the, the sand that you find absolutely everywhere after you've been to the beach. And this is what she says, she lost two babies very, very late on in pregnancy, had to move away from all of her loving, supporting community at that time, and then lost her dad. So almost multiple mourning going on, multiple grief in her. And uh, she writes these beautiful words, and then we'll come to the quote that's on the screen. "'Grief I have found is like a sand after a trip to the beach. It's textured and sticky and gets in your hair, your teeth, and between your toes.'" I return from the beach back to my normal life in my purportedly sand-free home. Two days later, I open my sock drawer, astounded to find a thin dusting of sand at the bottom. I unzip my bag and grit gets under my fingernails. I pick up a book the next week and discover its creases hide enough grains of the stuff to make a little beach on my desk. Grief for me gets everywhere. It settles even in the cracks of my day. Any topic, no matter how obscure, can suddenly remind me of what I've lost. I hear a news story and wonder what my dad would say, or I visit a new place and want to tell him about it. I open a drawer and see a note my daughter had written to him. His voicemails are still on my phone, undeleted." And many of us will resonate with at least part of that, if not all of that, in the the, the losses in our lives. I remember when I lost my mum. It was two years before I could change on my mobile mum and dad home. You know, I just left it there um, because it just felt wrong to just delete. Uh, And there'll be things for all of us, things that actually just catch us, that pressurised reservoir of tears that can somehow be released. But then she goes on, If you think of the sand analogy, such a good analogy, I think. Look what she says now. Grief does indeed get everywhere, but so does mercy. I am learning that there is no place of suffering to which we might go where God's beauty, blessing, and grace cannot reach. With each new sorrow, moments of beauty still turn up. And I think that is profoundly true. Profoundly true, and if you're in that place of pain today, to just call out to God for his mercy, for his Makarios, for his gift in the pain, for his gift within it, to cry out to him for those moments of beauty. Jesus, uh, in the, the Gospel of John, gathers people together and he gathers his closest disciples, reminding them that he will die soon. And he talks about this grief, he talks about this loss, but he says, even though you will grieve, you will cry out because I am gone, he says, no one can take your joy away from you. So he says, you will feel deep, deep pain, but actually I will come back for you, and even in the separation, you will have this sustaining joy. Makarios is a joy that has a secret within itself. I love that expression. A joy that seeks us through our pain, through our deepest pain. And it is a miracle. If you don't quite know what it is like, just say to God, cry out to him in your pain now uh, when we have the time of response, when we have the time for prayer. Pray for that gift of that mercy, that makarios. You never know how it's going to come. It comes in the most unexpected ways. But God's blessing, his joy, his gift is available to all of us. Gordon MacDonald said in a lecture I went to a couple of years ago, never underestimate how much pain is in the pew. Now, we may not be in physical pews, but we are in pain this morning. And we have that, that beautiful mercy, that grace to call upon for the consolation of his spirit, his presence with us. I was reading recently a book on grief uh, that said, you cannot promise people answers, but you can promise his presence. And very often we call out for the answers, don't we? Of course we do. We're human. That's how we're wired. But we do get his presence with us. Uh, The psalmists, uh, we know, lament a lot. I love that. I love the sense of lament that we have. But they also, uh, we hear David and and, and other writers that actually console themselves in their confidence in God. And uh, Psalm 27 says this, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in his shelter, in the shelter of his tabernacle. And he will set my feet high upon a rock that rootedness that core confidence that we can have only in him i believe we can find that sets our feet back on the rock when we've perhaps fallen or when we've uh, we've life has knocked us down and throughout scripture we have the comfort that god wants to pour into his people We know that the prophet Isaiah, many others, call out for this comfort, and God is faithful. He brings the comfort of his people. He brings it through his people. So today, we can be the comfort of God for one another. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That we get to be part of the comfort and compassion of Christ, of God, to one another. And I think that's something that is beautiful here at Bourneville, and I just encourage you with that, to keep loving one another well, keep excelling in loving one another nice little poem that i think really resonates with me that says this i walked a while with sorrow and never a word said he but over things i learned from her when sorrow walked with me A lot of our prayer can sometimes almost sound like pain avoidance. Do you know what I mean by that? We can get so caught up in consumerism and our fear of pain, our fear of anything, that our prayers can be, just keep us from anything that would make us feel sad, Lord, and protect, and and that's our instinct, isn't it? But actually, what will shape us many times in our lives is sorrow. What will actually change us, what will beautify us is the very thing that we don't want, the very thing that we'd we'd almost do anything to avoid. And I would certainly say at times in my life that have been the most brutally hard actually have shaped me more than the good times, more than the successes, if you like, the failures, the pain. And we mourn things that are way more than people. We grieve for people, of course we do. We grieve for those we've lost. But we also mourn in life for what hasn't been that we thought would be. There will be people here mourning for the children that they never had, for the life that they didn't live, as Tim talked to us so movingly about in the summer. Many of us will be mourning even now, not necessarily for a person, but for something that we thought would be part of our reality now that isn't we will also be mourning at our world. How can we not? How can we put the news on and not be mourning about the state of our world now? If we've got nothing else to grieve for, then we can pour those tears, those, those pressurized tears into that, into that grief. Uh, Over my uh, sabbatical time in the summer, I went to Lee Abbey. I know some of you recommended it. had a lovely time there. And I met a sculptor uh, from Switzerland called Elizabeth Helbin. And uh, she (coughs) sculptors many different images, and she sculpts them out of situations in her life. And this one is called Angel with Broken Wings and Boxing Gloves, which I like. I'm not necessarily keen on the sculpture itself, but I love the message of it, the lament of it, because this is raw lament right here. This is biblical lament. Why? Because she's got boxing gloves and a broken wing. And she made this sculptor at a time when she was, she was due to be married. She'd been with the guy for 10 years. And then suddenly he left, no explanation, nothing. And her whole world fell apart. And she said, I could forgive him, but I couldn't forgive God. And I think there's a few of us, I would resonate with that sometimes, that almost we can be fairly quick maybe to forgive a person, but you think, God, why did I I go through all of that? So the fact that she sculpted this, I really get it, because there's the brokenness of the wing that says... I am so fragile, I'm hanging on here. But there's also bright red boxing gloves that says, I'm going to have this out with you, Lord. That's an intentional lament that is not distancing itself from God, is it? It's actually saying, let's do this. And I think in Scripture, through the Psalms, through Isaiah, through the prophets, and through Jesus himself, we are encouraged to do just that. If Jesus does it in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think it's okay for any of us to do it, isn't it? To say, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why has this thing not happened or happened or this person I love disappeared or gone for now? And to be very real with it. And she spoke beautifully about this in a way that I don't think it was a dry eye in the house at the end because we all resonated with that fact of why. But God is big enough for it. And even, I would dare to say, that I think he wants us to do the wrestling with him. Because it's real. You know that relationship has to have that quality to it, that sense of being fully known that we talked about at the beginning. Isaiah, beautiful words of comfort here as we start to, to look ahead in our pain, in our grief, in our mourning. He speaks on behalf of God, saying, I am he. I am he who will sustain you I will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. And I've learnt, and I think many of us, if we're honest, have learned that that rescue never looks quite like we thought it would. We'd love it if it was he parachutes in and takes us out of the pain immediately. Some of us will have that experience, but most of us here would say actually our experience has been very different to that. The rescue comes in a very, very different way from what we might imagine or what we might have dreamt up. Uh, There is a village um, somewhere in the world... I'm not going to narrow it down any further than that because it doesn't say in my book, it just says that. But there is a village somewhere in the world that is very, very close-knit where every time a person in that village grieves, every time someone dies, everyone else, every other household in the village changes one thing about the outside of their house whether it's they put a plant there, they put a flag there, they take something down, they put something out. Why do they do that? They do it because they want to say to the people who have lost, this pain disrupts all of us. My world has changed because your world has changed. Your pain has disrupted my world. I think that's brilliant. I think that's church. Because we know it, if one of us is in pain, and that's true for us even this morning, we know there are people here in pain, and we're all in pain with them. You know, there's that, that clock, W.H. Uh, Alden poem, isn't there? Stop all the clocks, because you've lost everything, and, and nobody, else, nobody else seems to, to care. You know, I remember when my mum died, and I went back to work far too quickly on a tour, and the, the touring guys, who were my really good friends, were laughing. You know, my mum had been dead three days and they were laughing about something, hysterically laughing, not just a giggle, but a hysterical laugh. And I was absolutely livid. I was like, how can they be, do they not know my mum has died? And I went to my boyfriend at the time, I was just shouting, shouting, and he said, Judy, their world hasn't changed in the way that yours has. And that's a painful, lonely old place, isn't it? Because we've got this huge pain that's changed everything in our worlds. And yet, there's no disruption there, or so it seems. But how brilliant is church if we actually lament together, if we are the compassion of God, if we are his love, if we are his hands? Uh, Ben Palfant, who's writing a book when he had brain cancer, um, says this, and he was facing his own death. He did survive, but he was facing his own death. And he wrote this, only as a young man... Lift up weary hands and frightened face to God. Lean in to his story. Even in the darkness, he is there. He is the one beside you singing. May you find his light in your darkness, his life in your death, his joy in your sorrow. A young guy facing death wrote those words. A beautiful blessing, really. And you might find the singing bit offensive. When I first read it, that was the bit that slightly stood out to me. But now it's my favorite bit, (laughs) if that makes sense. Because actually, he's there beside you singing, not out of insensitivity, but because he's got you and because you're close to him. And he can draw very close when we grieve. So as we close, what are hearts grieving for? Every heart here will be grieving for something. Really lovely quote here, the bliss of the man whose heart is broken for the world's suffering and for his own sin, for out of his sorrow he will find the joy of God. As we mourn, as we lament, one of our griefs is our own sin, isn't it? And as we come to communion now, There is a mourning in us that God has given us so much and yet we have offended him. We have neglected him. Uh, Maybe we've even denied him this week or betrayed him in some way. And we lament over that. That's a different kind of mourning. But it's a very real one. That we have put things in the way. Peter wept, didn't he? He went out after he had denied Jesus three times and we hear that he went outside and he wept bitterly over his own sin. Jesus, we know, wept over the death of a friend, but he also wept over Jerusalem because of all that he saw going on. And as we weep over our own Jerusalem, as we weep over Birmingham currently, and all the brokenness, all the pressure that there is there, that lament has power. Our tears have power to change. We're going to close and uh, have a time where the band are going to sing over us as we lament. Uh, But I want to lead us from the Psalms in a lament of our own. Uh, And it's taken from one of the psalms. Uh, And what I love about it is that there is a real sense of my God, my God, as we said at the beginning, my God, a sense of personalizing lament. Lament comes out of deep relationship, not out of distance, but just actually saying, God, I am in this relationship with you, and I've got my boxing gloves, I've got my broken wing, and I'm calling out to you. Um, One of the books that we recommend for grief is this book here that you'll see on the screen. And there are many reasons why we do. It's from A a Grace Disguised and written uh, by a man who lost his mother, his wife and his children in the same car accident, Um, which is just beyond our imagination, isn't it? Multiple, multiple pain... Uh, and he says this, which I, I found so helpful, and I know many of you have. However painful our loss is, life can still be good. Good in a different way than before, but nevertheless good. I will never recover from my loss, and I will never get over missing the ones I lost. But I still cherish life. I will always want the ones I lost back again. I long for them with all my soul, but I still celebrate the life I have found because they are gone. I have lost, but I have also gained. I lost a world I loved, but I gained a deeper awareness of grace. That grace has enabled me to clarify my purpose in life and rediscover the wonder of the present moment. There's so much in that, but there is a life beyond our pain that is different but can be good again. Lindsay Lucas, one of our Moseley congregation, found her husband dead on the floor just after small groups. Some of you will remember a few years ago. she was in so much pain she couldn't come to church she just didn't feel that she could lament freely in church and then God challenged her and she prayed in the car park and just said God I want to come to church but if anyone asks me how I am I'm scared I'll tell them do you resonate with that you know I just don't want to walk through people saying how are you because I am scared I will say it and she prayed God can you sort that out for me Uh, and she walked to the door, and I don't know if any of you remember a guy called David McKellen, who we had, who had some mental health problems, who was often quite confused, but had an amazing prophetic gift, and still does actually, and he had put himself on the welcome team, Uh, no one had asked him to be on there, but he had gone on there anyway, and he'd got a badge that said, I'm an epileptic, didn't say hello or welcome, Um, and so I was thinking, this is all going horribly wrong, this is church at its most mad and messy, Um, but in God's... ordinance what happened was Lindsay walked through the door and David McKellen walked up to her and said well done for being here today and I think there's something in that wisdom that I would say to you as we come to lament well done for being here I don't mean it patronizingly I would say it to myself as well well done for hanging on in there whether you've got boxing gloves whether you've got a broken wing whatever that is that we're church together And well done for staying with God because he's worth it. And he will, with his grace, with his mercy, with his kindness, with his healing, with his restoration, be with us. Let's be quiet and I'm going to read a little lament from the Psalms uh, as we go to communion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Lord, do not be far from me. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. for you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of all Israel. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will still praise you, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help. Lord, thank you that that psalm begins with a complaint that is very raw, very real, very desperate. But Lord, it ends with a declaration that you've never left us before and you never will that your faithfulness is the thing that we're relying on, that your presence, not your answers, Lord, but your presence is what you promise us, that you will be quick to come to our side with grace, with mercy, with kindness, with healing, with the beauty of your grace. Lord, minister by your Spirit to all who grieve this morning and help us as we mourn for our own part in the suffering of this world. We are truly sorry. Lead us now, we pray, as we bring our tears to you, as we bring our pain to the foot of your cross. In the name of Jesus, Amen.